Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. This week we are proud to feature a session from the 2019 Tucson Festival of Books curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raices program. This session was entitled, What Color is the Future? Award-winning Latinx sci-fi fantasy writers Lilian Rivera and Danielle Jose Older merge urban dreams with a dystopian world order. John Munoz moderated the panel. Nuestras Raices, Our Roots, is a group of Pima County Public Library staff members who work together to celebrate and honor the culture, voice, and linguistic heritage of our Latinx and Spanish-speaking communities in Pima County. This is part one of a two-part series. Up first, John Munoz introduces the author. Welcome. Welcome to all of you to the 11th Annual Tucson Festival of Books and the Nuestras Raices venue. My name is John Munoz, Senior Librarian with the Pima County Public Library, your public library here in Southern Arizona. Today's program is What Color is the Future? Thanks to the Pima County Public Library for sponsoring this venue. She's an award-winning writer and the author of the young adult novels Dealing in Dreams and The Education of Margot Sanchez. Her work has appeared in Elle, Lenny Letter, Tin House, Fantasy and Science Fiction Magazine, and the LA Times, just to name a few. She is Liliam Rivera. And he's got a thing for monsters, historical, rhetorical, (laughs) allegorical, and metaphorical. His debut Shadow Shaper series for young adults has earned rave reviews. The International Latino Book Award, New York Times Notable Book, the NPR Best Books of the Year picks, among other accolades. Like many professional writers, he has paid his dues by working a tough guy job, namely EMT in NYC, so a paramedic in New York City, for one decade. Wow. Thank you for your service, by the way. My pleasure. We will talk more about that in a moment. He is Daniel Jose Older. I thought I'd start off with a question that's kind of near and dear to us here in Tucson. It's a issue. It's a huge social issue. Um, and it's a common theme and a plot point in many of your books, both of your books. And, um, well, certainly in The Education of Margot Sanchez and the Shadow Shaper series. It's that G word. Do you know what that G word is? G word? Garbanzos. You're close. <laughs> Gentrification, a huge social issue. A boost to a neighborhood's economy, yes, but also at the cost of the erasure of an existing culture. And I thought that we could start off there with that question, Daniel Jose Older. Hey. No, I'm glad you raised that because that is is super huge. And one of the reasons, I think probably for both of us, one of the reasons we put it in um, our books is that it's a truth that we see a lot in the world but not in the pages of books. Um, I know that was very true for me writing Shadow Shaper. It was that I was reading a lot of books about the city and and I was living in a city and I've always lived in cities. And I was seeing one thing here and a whole other thing happening on the page. And to me, that's always a moment of like, like an entrance point for a writer. Like, wow, there's something that we're really not talking about. Um, And that obviously has to do with a lot of dynamics, I think, including the dynamic of publishing being, you know, 80 something percent white. 
and um, you know, urban fantasy being a similar demographic. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the, the, I know for me, the engine and the fire behind writing a book like Shadow Shaper was to interrupt that space of kind of protecting a lot of the really uncomfortable conversations that we should be having with books and, and having them um, in a very head-on way. And then also just telling the truth. You know, like Sierra is a character who lives in Brooklyn, New York in, in this era. And if you're writing a character in that time and you're not talking about gentrification, like, what's really going on? You know, like, what, what, who are you protecting with that? And so I, I didn't want to protect anybody, especially the people who've always been protected for so long. So it was about having that conversation. And then finally it was, Sierra's also up against, um, you know, a, a deranged Columbia anthropologist who's trying to become like the top dog in her magical tradition at the cost of the other people whose tradition it really is. So built into the larger struggle and narrative of that book is really a story that gentrification mirrors in a very real way. And so the, the, they're, all, they're in conversation, right? Like what's going on in her city is also going on in her conflict. And that's a way that they all kind of come together. Hmm. You mentioned both the antagonist and the protagonist of um, that series. Uh-huh. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Wicks, is he based on anybody, like an old professor of yours? or <laughs> No, but he was a way to talk about anthropology and how complicated that history is, because I think we do simplify it, you know, and we do kind of make it like, oh, anthropologists is out there to like take notes about people, and it's all good, and like really, mm-hmm. there's a lot of genocide in that history, you know, mm-hmm. which isn't to say the whole tradition should be thrown out, it's to say we have to have that very complex conversation about it and understand that sometimes it is deeply connected to the forces that have destroyed us, and and sometimes it can be a force for good, but if we're going to make it that, we have to know about its history to move forward. Hmm. Lilian, so Margot Sanchez, she's caught between two worlds in this novel. She's caught between what she thought she has wanted and what she comes to know that she needs. And in many ways, it's as if she's being gentrified herself, or at least she's on the pathway to being turned into the gentry. Anything you care to comment on that? Um, no comment. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, um, the education of Margot Sanchez, you know, it definitely is shows um, Margot who's kind of, ta- you know, stuck between these two worlds of her private school world and her, you know, her community, right? She's been taught by her parents that, you know, the only way out is through assimilation in a lot of ways, right? So she's, but they're punishing her, right? So there's this struggle, right? Her parents want her to learn about the culture, but they also want her to sim- assimilate. It's, it's kind of messed up. But, so she spends the summer working at her father's supermarket in the South Bronx. That's changing, which is true as we speak right now. Um, and so I really wanted to just talk about that, um, the idea of a girl who's just forced to look at the beauty of things, um, the beauty of the South Bronx. To me, um, summers in the South Bronx were really magical. And that was where, you know, I grew up there, and that's, I wanted to kind of capture that and kind of write a, a little bit of um, a love letter to the Bronx. Um, and the conversation that I started maybe with Margot, uh, with the education of Margot Sanchez, I'm kind of like bringing it to the future with um, Dealing in Dreams, um, my second book, because um, even though it's set in the near future and it's about girl gangs who, um, who are fighting to, to, who rule the streets of this world called Mega City, um, there is a little bit about gentrification in that in the future. <laughs> and what does that look like? Um, everybody in that world wants to live in the mega towers. And to me, the mega towers, in my mind, are the housing projects in the, in the Bronx. And you know, I could see, like, I grew up in the housing projects. I could see that, that place being turned and turned into co-ops or condos because you know, they're, 
two, you know, two floors and three, you know, two bathrooms and three bedrooms, and they're great, you know. And I could just see that building being uh, being a symbol of the future, you know, of being flipped. So it's kind of like Margot and Nala. They're having this conversation that you know just kind of works through like the whole theme of the gentrification. You are listening to a session from the 2019 Tucson Festival of Books curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raices program entitled What Color is the Future? Award-winning Latinx sci-fi fantasy writers Lillian Rivera and Danielle Jose Older discuss their work with librarian John Munoz. We've mentioned Sierra Santiago and also Margot Sanchez from your books. Uh, They are similar enough to be genetically sisters or cousins uh, ve- but they're very very different characters they have very different needs and very different motivations very different challenges um, but they still belong to that same demographic and it's you know young Latinas here in the United States any advice that you can think of for young Latinas in the United States right now 2019 oh Daniel God. Jose older <laughs> starting with Lilian Rivera advice advice um, my advice is to uh, speak your truth um, to own your voice to be as vocal as possible um, the great thing about the time that we're living in now is that everyone has access to social media outlets you know that's good or bad but honestly for young people it's amazing it's empowering and so you can say what you want and you could find your voice and find people who could connect to connect with, you know, around that, around a cause, and um, and learn things. So I don't know. For me, like you know, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, social media is horrible," but I really do find it empowering. I've yeah. been on it for like ten years. Um, I meet young people through there. Yeah. Like everyone was like, "Here's a book that you should read. Here's another thing that you should do. Check out this exhibit. Check right. out this." You know. So there's a way of uh, information is not being dictated only simply by by certain outlets. Right. You know, for, on Twitter and Instagram, you have some sort of power, I yeah. feel. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Um, I think that's such, a, that's such an important point. And along with that, it's like <clears throat> we create a lot of hierarchies about what art matters and which art is mm-hmm. more important. You know, and I think that's very dangerous and unhealthy and ridiculous. Um, and so to, to young people in general, I would say, you know, like make that art, whatever is, is, is making you sing inside yourself. Make it, and don't let anybody tell you that it's less art because it's a graphic novel or because it's graffiti or because it's a tattoo or whatever. Like, make your art um, and do it proudly and become, you know, all you want to become with your craft. And and, and in doing that, celebrate other crafts and, mm-hmm. and look outward and see all the things that your friends and people beyond are doing. You know, and to young Latinas specifically, I would say, like, don't let anybody get in your way, you know? Like, push them out of the way. Kick them in the face to get them out of your way. <laughs> Whatever you have to do, because there are so many people trying to get in the way of young women of color today. And there, it is an unprecedented time in that we have so many ways to stand up and to lift our voices. So, like Lillian said, you know, take advantage of that and use them and shout. Yeah. I like also, I don't know, like this idea of even if you're a writer, that you don't have to wait for someone to tell you that you're a writer. You could actually write poetry on Instagram. (laughs) You know, you don't have to wait to get permission. Just you are a writer. Exactly. You know. Hmm. Many of you may not know this, but Daniel Jose Older has had an incredible output of publishing in the past five, six years. It's just been incredible. Two books, three books a year. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Last Shot. Uh, Han and Lando 
novel. These are the two characters from the Star Wars uni- universe, Han Solo, Lando Calrissian. And yes, I, you know, a question I've got to ask you, Daniel Jose Older, is did you get any secret information from the franchise? Because, you know... <laughs> if I told you, who, I would have to kill you. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, because you're writing this... It has to remain within the continuity of the Star Wars universe, yes. And I'm assuming that you had somebody from Disney telling you, don't mention this or do mention this, or we're thinking about going in this direction, so don't go there. Right. Um, not that you have to share that with you us. You want but me did, to divulge secrets? I don't want you to divulge any secrets <laughs> for the upcoming ninth issue of the... Everybody uh, dies. Oh, um, no. <laughs> well, it was a really fun process. And what they did was they brought me in to read the script for Solo, which wasn't out Oh, yet. my. Okay. Yeah. So that was really fun. Yeah. Although they had a, fu- a life-size um, statue of Ahsoka Tano right there next to me. And I was just, wow. like, distracted because that's one of the coolest characters ever. Yeah. So it was amazing. And I was in, like, Lucasfilm headquarters. Mm. Oh, in my. In this, like, secret basement wow. area where they, like, do a lot of the animation. And it was it was very distracting. Um, <laughs> and there was, like, a million cameras everywhere, so I couldn't, you know. Oh. <laughs> and I, I, I NDA'd everything to, you know, you can't, whatever. Wow. It was a mess. But I had a lot of fun writing it. And the one thing I would say about it is, like, it was really much I that's my world like I love Star Wars I've grown up loving Star Wars and so it felt very natural to play in that sandbox because I know those characters so well like yeah. I had Han and Lando action figures as a kid you know what oh I mean my, so yeah. like I can write this you know what I mean like yeah. I've, been, I've been saying their voice all along um, so it felt very natural <laughs> thank goodness yeah. um, and, and like I told the kids in the high school yesterday actually I, I, th- I went into it being like alright this is going to be a nightmare and it's going to be worth it Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a, it's someone else's world, and they have it. They keep it very, like you said, you know, there has to be continuity, which is something I love about it. Like mm. they're very tight on that. Um, so I figured it would just be a really painful process as far as like coming up with ideas and them shooting them all down. Mm. But it turned out that I brought them an outline, and they loved it. Oh. And their only comment was like, they were like, you don't have to go to like Tatooine and all the planets that we see. You can make up new planets. Oh and my! I was like, word, you get to make up a planet for the Star Dude, Wars I, universe? I, 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 a planet? I made up like twelve. Like I just, oh my I, just went God. Like, I just kept going. I was like, oh, and then they go to this other moon, and then they mentioned like sixteen other moons in the background, and where did Lando go shopping yesterday? This planet, like I made up new creatures. It was really fun, and That's they were awesome. totally with it because they because it's a big galaxy, man. Oh, yes, it is, ladies and gentlemen. Systems. I'm trying not to faint right now. Please <laughs> forgive me. What was so awesome about that novel was you got to see the relationship between these two friends who are really brothers. Yeah, they're really brothers. Yeah. and and. We, we don't learn how they became brothers, but right. because you can't, you can't say hello to your friend by knocking on his door, hey, old buddy, and then he smacks you. That, right. that happens right in the first chapter, yep. you know. Hey, Lando, smack, <laughs> because of, you know, something from the past. Right. So you can't do that to a friend because you lose a friend when you do that. Right. And you go to their house and punch right. them out. But not these guys. Yeah. It's like, I need your help. All right. <laughs> Got a bloody nose, but thank you. Yes. We were talking about tough guy jobs. Any tough guy jobs or tough lady jobs, po- tough person jobs for you, Lily, I'm in the past? Um, for me, I would say, because my background was in um, entertainment journalism, so... Mm. You know, it looks glamorous, red carpets, entertain, you know, interviewing celebrities and all that. But I'm going to say that that's like, it's horrible. Oh, my. (laughs) I will say that. Because you're just scrambling to get that one little interview, and they don't care. (laughs) They don't want you there, really. So you're just trying to pretend, and it's a lot of fake stuff. And I'm from New York, and I don't like to fake 
be fake. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but I, I did really well. So, <laughs> but I would say that's a tough job. You know, if you ever see anyone working the red carpet, just, you know, those people have been standing there all day just to try to get that one celebrity to look at you. It's, it's hard. Man. Yeah. Wow. You are listening to a session from the 2019 Tucson Festival of Books curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raices program entitled What Color is the Future? Award-winning Latinx sci-fi fantasy writers Lilian Rivera and Danielle Jose Older discuss their work with librarian John Munoz. Uh, Daniel Jose Older, any um, <laughs> stories that you care to share with us that you can <laughs> share that um, ethics allow you to share with us regarding being a paramedic in the largest city in the world? Um, my favorite story about being a paramedic was uh, people. what people don't understand about that job is that like literally 70% of the jobs are total. And Ooh. that's cool. Oh, you mean the everything. calls that you go out on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the calls are like, there's a lot of nonsense, you know, and um, that's part of what it is. The challenging part about that job is not so much um, dealing with life and death as much as dealing with life and death amidst a whole lot of other crap that doesn't matter at all. So you'll do like an earache, a little belly ache, you know, a guy who's been like feeling off for six months, and then a, and then a kid that got shot, you know, and that's like the hardest thing is jumping back and forth right. um, between those things and being on when you need to be on and being just enough on with everybody else that you don't burn out. Um, but my favorite call of all time was the, we got a call for a cardiac situation um, when I was a brand new medic. So we went flying across Brooklyn, you know, ready, 70 year old having chest pain. All right, we're, yeah, we got this, you know, carry the 40 pounds of equipment up three flights of stairs, get to the apartment, find a little old guy sitting very comfortably in his chair like this. And we go, what's the problem today, sir? And he goes, I have a broken heart. <laughs> what? Oh, come on. Do you, do, how, you know, and like we have a series of questions that we're supposed to ask, when, yeah. you know, so I was like, on a scale of one to ten, how bad is the pain? And he was like, 13. <laughs> and there was a lady walking around the apartment, and I was like, well, she seems like a nice, that's my sister. <laughs> At that point, I was just like, do you want to go to the hospital? Yes. And so we took him to the hospital, everybody, as soon as we got there, everyone was like, oh, hey, Fred, what's up? And oh, like, my. The dude goes like every week for that. It was a mess. But you know, God bless. Yeah. God bless the people. Liliam, you mentioned your early career in writing. Where did your love of writing and language arts come from? How did that start? Um, well, for me, the only way I, I was extremely shy when I was young, like extremely shy. And I came from a big Puerto Rican family with a lot of brothers who are not shy and are very, you know, like to perform and are really loud. And um, the only way I could deal with anything was through writing. So I would write everything. Like I would walk around with a pen and paper or a little notebook and I would just write whatever was happening. You know, if I felt depressed or if there was something going down, uh, you know, whatever things that I was seeing, I would write it all down. So that was my way of coping. Um, and I still do that. I still walk around with a, a little pen and paper, you know, a little pad. Um, it's just my, my coping mechanism. It's the way I, I, I navigate all kinds of things, you know. Daniel Jose, who or what influenced your writing most? Um, well, first I want to say I was really similar, but I drew. I was, uh, I'm, oh. That's how I coped right. with stuff, was drawing, which is what, that's how Sierra ended up an artist that's in right. a way. It was giving her that kind of part of me. Um, but no, I had a lot of influences. Um, one I would definitely, that I always shout out, was a teacher I had in, um, I guess, middle school, seventh grade, um, Mrs. Inez Middleton, who took me aside one day and for no apparent reason, first of all, she was one of those teachers that like everyone's like in love with and terrified of at the same time. Like, <laughs> she said she would hang us out the window by our toenails 
Hotels on the first day of class, and we totally believed her. <laughs> like it was like one of those things. Um, but she took me aside and she gave me this book um, of Octavia Butler's, mm. oh. and it really it was called um, Bloodchild. And it was a collection of short stories, way advanced for my level. Like, right. I totally didn't get it. But I read it, it blew my mind anyway. You know when you're a kid and you read mm-hmm. something, you're like, this is way too advanced for me. <laughs> like you it's know amazing. It? Yeah. Right? I have no idea what's <laughs> happening right now. But it's bloody. Like, oh, people died. Um, it, so it, it, it was one of the, I always think of it as like a, she planted a seed or a time bomb, yeah. like, depending on my mood. Yeah. But like, you know, like 10 years later, I, I, I kind of came back around to Octavia Butler. And by that time, Mrs. Middleton had passed. And so I could never mm. ask her, like, what was it that you saw mm. in me that made you know that one day wow. I would need a hero like Octavia Butler, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so that's why in, in Shadow Shaper, they go to Octavia Butler High School, yeah. and their neighbor is named Mrs. Middleton, who's like, oh. my, that's my teacher. And, you know, that, that she just, she saw something in me, you know, and that was really, that I always think of, some teachers are magical, you know, and you know, that's important. I love important. that. I yeah. love it because the same thing similar happened to me mm. in high school, and it was an English teacher because I was so shy. He was like, I wrote something, and he's like, you wrote this. You wrote this? And now he was like, oh, I see what you're doing. You're shy, but you're also selfish because you're not allowing anyone else to see this. Ah. <laughs> and then he forced like me to right. join the, the newspaper, that's the cool. school newspaper. But he also gave me a copy of A Clockwork Orange. Wow. Which... Mm. That'll jack um, you up. You know? <laughs> but I was so, like, I was into that right. book. I really, you know, I was violent. It was it was some, something about that book that really called to me. And and, yes. and it makes sense if you read The Dealing in Dreams, um, the book that comes out, because mm-hmm. it's just, it's about girl gangs and it's about violence. And yeah. I, you know, and I owe it to that teacher wow. who just planted a little bit of that seed. That's you know? really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Question for you both. Uh, if you could do something differently in the past when you were a young person, maybe in high school, something that would improve your writing today, something that you could have done, uh, take up uh, cross-country skiing, uh, learn how to play the violin, I don't know what. Anything in the past that you could have done to help you now? Hmm. Daniel Jose Older. Uh, no. <laughs> it was all meant to be. <laughs> I mean, well, I say that because, and this is something I, I, I teach, too, when I, when, when, for my students, like, I think there's a mindset a lot with any kind of job that you enter, but particularly with arts in the arts world that like you have to, you know, put in this many years of being something and then you become a certain level of mastery of that something based on a certain amount of time and of doing that thing. And like there's a lie embedded in that, which is that that you're not becoming what you're going to be no matter what you're doing. And you are, you know, like my years, my 10 years as a paramedic definitely made me a much better writer than I ever would have been. It made me the writer I am, you know? And also, in that, most of that time, I was trying to be a musician. Um, and oh. so that, I, you know, I could be like, I could now look back and be like, man, if I'd started my publishing career when I was 25 instead of 29, I would have been that much, but that's bull- you know, like, because I spent that time being a musician, that's also made me a better writer, you know? And, like, because I was being alive and, like, going through, you know, relationship problems and other things and being alive in all those different ways, that made me a better writer, you know? And, like, spending that time reading and writing exclusively instead of being the human being that I was would have made me a worse writer because I would have been regurgitating stuff instead of actually going from my lived experiences. And so I think it's sort of dangerous, not your question, but when, when we push people to kind of be like, you got to figure out what you're going to do at like 13. You know what I mean? Like, no. When I was 13, I probably wanted to be, a, you know, like run a zoo or something. Like, yeah. thank God I didn't do that. Well. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, 
I guess for me, for me, if I if I could give any kind of advice, would be to just not close yourself off to expressing yourself you know like it took a long time it even took a long time even though I was a journalist and I had bylines and all that stuff it just still took me a long time for me to say okay I could I could be a fiction writer I could write a fiction Um, I really did have this mindset of like only uh, someone who had an MFA or who, who had the credentials could be a fiction who could be an author and it just took me way longer for me to overcome that fear that I yeah. had so if I could it would it would be like just having that teacher once again tell me that right. stop being so selfish and just go out there and who cares that's interesting because <laughs> I had a, I was fighting a similar thing and for me the breakthrough came with blogging because oh, I yeah. would come home from the ambulance and I would blog about all the I'd seen the night before mm. and it was so easy because I would just be like wow amazing things happen but it would take me 20 minutes right yeah and people would be like this is so cool and I would throw in a joke and some medical knowledge and oh haha, heart attack <laughs> you know and like they were but they were good they're still they're still posted you can find them and that's oh. where I learned to write and then I had a moment where I was like if I just made it up right this would be fiction <laughs> and if I kept doing that that would be a novel right. and that's like that's literally like how I started writing because it demystified yeah. the experience. And up to that point, I wanted to be a writer, but I thought writers were dead white men. And that wasn't me, you know? And so I was like, oh. And it's really that straightforward. And then my motto out of that became just tell the f- story. Excuse mm-hmm. me. And, and that's like a really, you know, I teach that, not to kids. I, <laughs> I, I sanitize it when I'm teaching kids. But in general, like, your job as a writer is just to tell the story. Right. And the depth will come with the story if you trust the story. But you don't have to, like, be all extra and flowery and like write the great American novel, that will happen on its own if you trust it. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to award-winning Latinx sci-fi fantasy writers Lillian Rivera and Danielle Jose Older with moderator John Munoz from a panel called What Color is the Future? This has been part one of a two-part series. This session was from the 2019 Tucson Festival of Books curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raices program. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. You can find this and all recent episodes of 30 Minutes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org.